Welcome to Conversations with Ask Ash. Conversations with Ask Ash focuses on people, processes, and outcomes. Ashley dives into everyday conversations around work efficiency, team productivity, and project execution. Let's get into the show. And now, your host, Ashley Schuler. Ashley Schuler. Ashley Schuler. What's going on, everyone? And I'm super excited today because, as you know, we are doing something new this season. We are talking about impact. We're doing the impact season where I'm inviting some of my favorite human beings on, and we're talking about what it means to have purpose and impact in your business. As we know, we are living in the new normal. And so what I've realized in a lot of my conversations that people are really wanting to do purposeful work. Uh, people want to be able to have that balance of I'm doing something that I've meant to, to be doing, but I also can be doing it while making money or by going in and pursuing the career that I want to, or going and uh, starting your own business venture and also changing the world at the same time. So I have the pleasure of interviewing one of one of William Mary's finest. Let me say that. <laughs> Too flattering. <laughs> out, of the one, gate. <laughs> out of the gate. Will Morris. Um, I'm excited because um, he's the founder of Ed Connective. And so we're going to be talking about um, his story, and we're going to be talking about what he's doing in the education space that is different from what I've been hearing. So, Will, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, it's uh, my pleasure. Uh, thanks for that uh, flattering uh, introduction. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, you know, Will, I, I want to ask you this because um, back in the William and Mary days, um, when just for those that don't know, um, Will and I went to the same college, and so we were around. I mean, so like a couple, few couple years apart um, from um, when we attended, but service was um, our bread and butter you know, in terms of William and Mary, that's just, yep. you didn't really hear too much. People are like, no, I don't want to serve. You know, you didn't, really, you didn't really run too, too, too many of those conversations, but um, I wanted to start um, just in terms of your particular journey, you know, as you are, I'm going to take you to graduating college. Did you know what you wanted to do? Oh, um, point blank period. I thought there was yeah. going to be more to that. No, I didn't. <laughs> I did not know what I wanted to do. I think that, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, I wasn't <laughs> too um, uh, forward thinking in terms of, all right, I'm going in with a particular major and I want to get this job and this career. I like, you know, many college students, um, especially at liberal arts, just kind of took a course that was interesting. Like, oh, I'm really interested in learning about psychology and learning about religion and history and all the you know great things you do at our liberal arts institution and so it wasn't until like I was really getting into my junior year where I was like yeah I really need to <laughs> kind of uh, explore this a little bit more deeply and uh, even though I was a psychology major I kind of started to realize that the idea of being a psychologist like full-time actually wasn't that appealing to me just like the day in the life as well as even what it would take to even start that career. Um, like you have to get master's degrees and post doctorate. There's all kind of like, there's like a lot of stuff you had to do to even get started. So I was like, it really didn't, you know, excite me. But what did excite me is this idea of uh, community psychology. So this idea of preventing some of society's largest um, issues um, 
in a way that is in line with this idea that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So That's what if right. you can invest in like a third grade reading program at like $5,000 per student to prevent people 20 years from then being incarcerated at like $40,000 a person like in jail, right? And so this idea that you could take a systems approach to solving like big societal issues is kind of what um, I got interested in. And um, I had enough when leaving America, when leaving William and Mary to know that, all right, this is kind of the type of thing that I'm interested in. And education is the space that I'd like to um, to play in. So those are the big things I knew at that time. But no, I had no idea what a career might look like, you know, in college. No, I think that's really good. And I, I like the point that you raised because it's like you connected the dots, you know, but you still didn't necessarily have like, here's where I'm going to lay in my plane. Like you were like, all right, I'm thinking I have this systems thinking how you can solve problems. Education is in my, my, my sphere. Um, but I, I'm really curious into, you know, as you left, um, you know, to kind of go to, to the real world, so to speak, you know, were you really set on saying, all right, you know, I'm going to explore this path into education? Yeah. Um, and really, I think that I was set at the conclusion of William Mary that education was the path. But in terms of education, entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship, you know, that was a little different because um, I did uh, apply to a master's program for education policy while I was at William & Mary, but I deferred it um, because I thought that even if I wanted to make some big impact, I really would need to get some, I would really want to get some experience on the ground first. That's why I went to work at a charter school first in Chicago. Um, so I knew that like education was the path. Um, it was while I was in uh, Chicago that you know, I did two things. Like one, I was just like religiously reading education week to yeah. kind of like hone in on, there's so many interesting initiatives, so many interesting um, lines of thought with policy and research and, um, and whatnot. But like, you know, where did, what, what airport did I want to land in? Like, was it That's small right. class sizes? Was it like, get every kid a laptop or so, so I was trying to, already start building, all right, some sort of thesis, some sort of hypothesis that I wanted to explore. Uh, meanwhile, um, somebody, um, another William Mary alum, so Royce McAllister, he actually called me up and was like, hey, Will, I think you should do this program called Starting Block. I did it. I got a lot out of it. It's a social entrepreneurship institute. Um, had never heard of it, but I was like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll definitely try it. So I flew out to Santa Monica and spent a week or so there with about a hundred other like millennials. And it was really transformative. Um, these were people who are, were young. So like 17 to 30 and they were um, already starting ventures and starting organizations and, and tackling big problems, you know, homelessness and hunger. And somebody, his thing was like Mars, going to Mars, <laughs> like 2027. <laughs> I, like I was like, and I could, he was like 17 little half, but I believed him. I'm like, okay, this guy might be actually going tomorrow. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. Um, I was talking to a young lady um, and she was like, you know what, Will, there's not enough engineering students that are women. It's like predominantly men. I'm a Stanford wow. trained engineer, Goldie Blocks, engineering toys for, for girls. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. That's dope. 
you know, right. she was like, you know, guys get the building blocks and connects and blah, 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 blah. Girls don't get it. So less pathways. And so, you know, she blew up. She was like in toy stores across the nation and Super wow. Bowl commercials. And it was that environment where I was like, this idea of, of being a social entrepreneur, like I'd never heard of it, but I love that idea. Like bringing that spirit of entrepreneurship, entre- entrepreneurship to solving some of our largest societal issues. Um, the idea that, hey, you could teach a man to fish and he could feed his family for a lifetime, but what if you could change the fishing industry? And wow. so that, that started to like, all right, I'm really interested in this. So as I transitioned into grad school, I had this in the back of my mind, this social entrepreneurship kind of bug. And I was wrestling in grad school. It was it going to be that or was it going to be like an education consultant or something like that? So it was that grad school program where I was really wrestling with it. No, I I like that a lot because, you know, your experiences of, you know, you went to a new city, right? You went to a new place and you were experiencing like on real time, like, okay, I'm teaching, I'm in the classroom. And then you begin to sort of see, you're like, all right, I'm seeing all of these things, right? How do I fit into the picture? So that aha moment of Ed Connective what was what was that moment just in terms of starting to build that starting to to build that yeah i mean the first part uh was you know leading up to uh my master's degree program just really staying on top of the field like through education week i was like looking at what was happening i was looking at new research that was dropping new studies that were dropping i was looking at new approaches um to solving some of our most chronic um, challenges. And I, I started to really get interested in two things, one evaluation and one coaching. The fact that, you know, a lot of time and energy, um, real capital, social, political capital. And up to that point in the last like three to four years around that time I was in Chicago was a big push for teacher evaluation. Like there was a big finding that guess what? 99% of teachers they all get like super satisfactory on their teacher wow. evaluation. Man. So for the industry, that was like in the reformists, they were like, yo, this is a problem. <laughs> like clearly not all teachers are performing the same. Exactly. And that's problematic if everybody's getting the five stars or whatever. And so in response to that, it was this huge shift to investing super heavily in teacher evaluation, which was well-intentioned. But what I started to hypothesize is that you know, the teacher evaluations were becoming more robust and a lot of time and energy was being put into rating a teacher a two versus a three versus a four, which has merit. It hadn't been done well before, but what I thought was falling short was great. You're a two or a three or a four. Not everybody's a five now. What do you do now? Like you've identified where they are, but how do you actually get them better? And I thought that evaluations by themselves aren't going to make teachers better. It's almost like um, you go to the uh, Firestone or whatever your, you know, your mechanic is once a year and they give you an inspection and they say green, yeah. green, green, yellow, yellow, red, red. But guess what? If they say, you know, your brakes are red and also you need a, a tire rotation. Is it Ashley that's doing the rotation? No. <laughs> like, right. Like, and like, are you equipped to then go rotate your tires and take, put the, you're not, no. It's a good snapshot of where you are, but it isn't the thing that helps you to get from there to where you need to be. And so that hypothesis, I just really explored that in grad school and like 
the courses I took, the papers I had to write. I put it all around investigating teacher feedback, teacher coaching, helping teachers get better. What does teacher professional development look like now? What are the gaps? And so that's where I, I got the kind of nugget before grad school, but then I further explored it, you know, in grad school. That's uh, that's super cool because you took that one moment where you were really seeing like this pattern of like, all right, you know, okay, I'm a three, what's next? And I think we've often have, you know, if you've been in a professional setting and in terms of whether you're doing your mid-year reviews or whatever, you may have that where it's like, rating but then it's sort of like what's next because either you're not asking that question or someone that's your supervisor director is not giving you here's your next step so I really love that aspect of combining this like it's coaching and then it's leadership in the classroom so when you are running off with this idea right now that you got now that you now that you got it now I'm super curious about how do you then test it with the market like how was that process in terms of like now we got to get it out to the masses because this is like it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean honestly that's that's probably the most painful part uh of an entrepreneur's journey um especially a first-time entrepreneur and that's a big part of why you know 90 percent of startups fail is not because it's a great not a great idea or the technology is because you know, they don't figure out how to get the market to adopt, you know, their new idea. Um, that's a really, really, really difficult thing to do. Um, and that took me a long time to figure out how to do that. Like, honestly, it was probably a few years before I really started getting traction. So imagine really? having this idea, starting a company in grad school, you know, in your mind, you're thinking, all right, you know, three to six months, I'll start getting my first customers. I'll start building traction. And it was funny, like when I went into it, some seasoned entrepreneurs, a couple of different ones basically said the same thing. They were like, so it was some version of it's going to take you twice as long, three times as much, or like you know, three times as long yeah. and twice as much. And like, they were, it's so, so, so true. Um, because you can have the best idea in the world, but it's like getting someone to pay for that, getting someone to consume that, to use a thing, especially if it's never been done, if it's a new thing, right? You're going against the grain. You're trying to create a new pattern where, you know, that pattern may not have existed before. It was just so, so hard. So I'm talking three years, not really making money, driving Uber and Lyft, like not like colleagues buying homes, getting jobs, the whole nine yards. And I'm like trying to get the first client, the second client, things of that nature. And the long and the short of it, if I could go back and do anything different, it's in other young entrepreneurs, it's um, you just got to really, you got to learn how to sell, honestly. Okay. And I know that that's um, maybe traditionally a, a kind of a more taboo profession, depending on what your background is with sales. But what I realized is like, that is the delta between you can have the best invention in the world, a life-saving product, but persuading someone, convincing someone to to use it, like that is a critical skill. That's right. And, and it's a science to it. It's not an art. It's very much like teaching. You can learn how to do it. But it wasn't until I learned how to do that. 
So I actually started to get traction like a few few years later. Wow. So I mean, and that because I'm imagining this from the perspective of like a principal or even just like a teacher that comes across what you're doing. And I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, that would be useful. So what were you, you know, in terms of your selling, like in terms of your approach, you know, what were some of those things that you had to change in terms of was it narrative? Was it like, here's here's the proven model? Like, how are you able to, like, get people to start paying attention? Yeah, I mean, the classic, classic mistake that so many entrepreneurs make, and I did myself as well, is that you've got this exciting idea, you've got this exciting concept, product, solution, and so you just pitch and you talk and you say, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you spend the time trying to explain your thing, you're rattling right. off why X, Y, and Z, it's awesome all the research and the technology, and I'm telling you, this blah, 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 blah. But really, once you actually learn the science of consultative sales, of actually helping to bridge um, the gap between someone's needs and a solution, it's really all about seeking to understand. It's really all about asking questions. It's really about listening. <laughs> wow, <laughs> listening. That's it's good. Like, it's like, if you're doing more than 50 percent of the talking like with someone you want to, to use your thing like it's it's not good because they're not you're in you're it's all about asking them you know what's your biggest need right now or what's your need around yeah. the topic of teaching and learning okay what's what's stopping you from meeting that need yeah. how you quantify that need where are you now and where do you want to be with with how you measure that and then once you get to those things and you see where they are, you can say, okay, if I can help them move from point A to point B, that's going to be really valuable to them. At the very end of the conversation, you're talking about like, Ed Connective can help you do that. But you can't really tell somebody like what you want to help them with until you truly know like what's top of mind, what's, what's the biggest pain for them, what's the biggest need for them. And so once it was that to shift, it's like, you know, a game changer. I mean, I think that's I think that's super good that you were able to point that out about this aspect of listening, you know, and being able to be able to receive that because I think it's so true, you know, we're thinking and I'm always thinking like this is great this is a great idea, this is a great service, you know, like but you do have to address and be able to meet the needs in terms of pain points and then like, you know, the right type uh, you know, of client and everything. But I'm super curious too about you know, what sort of kept you going in the times where it was slow, you know, and you were like, you know, looking around the corner, like, okay, uh, <laughs> you know, like what, what next, like what, what types of things, what mindset did you have? Yeah. I think that, you know, a couple of things came together. I think one, I was very, passionate about the idea and like I knew I had a very strong conviction that like my vision of where the puck was heading was like spot on I'm like yeah people don't see it but they just need coaching yeah we we really need some coaching like oh it's valuation this I'm just like like I just felt so deeply in my heart that like yo I I know what needs to happen and I felt that I could make it happen, right? Um, but it was, you know, those first three years where it was not happening, where, you know, entrepreneurship 
and I think business building in general can kind of disabuse one from the the well-worn track of academia where it's like hey you just try hard and you succeed like guess what entrepreneurship is not that like like that you can try Absolutely. your hardest 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 and still fail um so it was a strong conviction and then also at the time you know i was a lot younger so like i wasn't married i didn't have sure. a kid right like, i had a little less concern about like oh i gotta make a ton of money right now right and so I was still with my girlfriend at the time, was now my wife, and we would just kind of have conversations around like different milestones, like, hey, in the next four months, if we can do X, if we, if you can reach Y at Ed Connective, you know, let's keep persisting, you know, so we yeah. would make these little milestones. Mm, um, so that's good. So you wouldn't stress every day because you're like, all right, here's my next milestone. Right. If I can hit it, let's keep... And it was just really at the beginning, just a lot of very small little wins. Like, oh, I got okay. into this program. I got into this education incubator. Oh, I, you know, I got this little, you know, $10,000 award here. Or, you know, I, I got my first users, you know, first three teachers to use it. You know, it was just like a little bit would happen every three to four months or so. That would be like, ah, you know, you know, I can keep doing this a little bit longer. and um. I think there was a point in time where I was in an accelerator program called uh, Village Capital. And I met a guy who had just finished raising like a million dollars or something like that and growing his company. And he was like, look, Will, uh, you know, I see you're trying to fundraise, but guess what? If I could go back and do anything different, I would just like focus on traction, getting customers, getting users, um, because that makes it so much easier to fundraise. And so like I spent the next year doing that. I got like to a hundred thousand dollars in revenue from like 10,000. And then like, that was the initial catalyst that, you know, we've been kind of growing ever since it hasn't been like up, like up into the right, you know, it's been, it's oscillated, but you know, we, we, we kind of uh, have been taken off, you know, from that point. Well, that's cool. Uh, being able to, to have that opportunity to do the fundraising. What was some of the um, things that you learned with that? Because, um, you know, I hear a lot about, um, going to programs like Techstars and like going into, you know, where you're going to VCs and you're pitching, you know, what were some of the things that they were looking for with, with your, with your company? Yeah. You know, on one side of the fence, there are certain um, mile markers that should be good signs for any investor. Yeah. Another side of the fence, you know, you might, one might say you meet 10 investors, you meet 10 investors, <laughs> like, like everybody's <laughs> right. kind of got their own thing. Um, <laughs> but I think the middle ground of that is that there are some classic things that you need, especially for venture capital, that type of investor, you know, the market's got to be big enough. So if it's a really tiny market, you know, you realize that even some of our best breakout companies, best startups, Usually they make, they generate, they drive tons of value with a small market capture. Like you might be a billion dollar company and have 10% of your given market. Um, it's very rare, like Uber or Lyft, where you're like literally, literally taking like half of a market or something like that. And so your market's got to be big enough. So check that works for Ed Connective. It's like teacher professional development is like $18 billion market. Teaching is like the fourth largest profession. There's 3.7 million teachers. 
big market, then you got to have a pain point, right? Like, like a really compelling pain point, right? And it's like, hey, once a student walks into a school, most powerful thing that affects the student is the teacher. And so you got to have a pain point. Uh, the biggest, most compelling thing um, is typically traction in team. Um, so has anyone used it? <laughs> like, yeah. Great. Someone's used it. Has anyone bought it? Okay. Someone's bought, how many people have bought it? <laughs> you know, so it's, right. it's that whole thing. And if you're on the East coast, the more traction you have to have, if you're on the West coast, you know, they're used to funding people with just like ideas only, like you can come in and just have like an awesome idea team, et cetera. Team is another thing. And so those are some of the things. And then depending on the investor, some, some, every investor puts more weight on different variables than others. Someone's like, oh, about the team, baby. You know, a good, good team can beat a bad product. A good team wow. can beat a bad market. You know, and some people's like, look, it's traction, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. So it depends on the investor. No, I think, I mean, no, that's super insightful just hearing that from that perspective. And then it makes sense why some would weigh maybe, um, you know, they would weigh different factors over others. But back to that action point, I'm thinking about like those first few customers that you're getting those for your first clients. What is, what was that like meeting and, you know, tra- training and doing, doing professional development with those particular um, clients that you had? What was those moments like? What did they experience? Yeah, I mean, first users, it was janky, right? <laughs> like, not janky. Like, it was kind of janky, right? <laughs> As is the case with, uh, you know, your MVP, your minimum viable product. You got to get something out the door. If if your product is perfect, you know, before the first customer sees it, you shipped it too late. Is is the general wisdom in the startup world? Because you know your product's supposed to be responsive and iterative. You know. And, uh, based on your customer's experience, your user's experience. So it was kind of janky at first. I think it was like three teachers I knew who first used it for free. LaMondre was one of them, like just people using it. Right. And then, you know, you get some customers and guess what? It's still like a suboptimal experience, but it's all about at the beginning, validating demand for the concept. So if you can get people, someone to buy, and shell out money for the new concept, then you can That's right. validate that, hey, this is worth investing more time and energy into. Someone's gonna, we can, like, it's a lot easier to make a product better than it is to get someone to buy a thing. Right, right. No, no, that no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So um, what sort of, um, you know, as, you know, some of your in- investors or you're pitching and, you know, now that you're like getting the product out, you know, in terms of like the social proof, how were you, you know, how were you actually, you know, in terms of your narrative and your story, like how did including those testimonials and like that data and that impact, did that make it super easier? I'm imagining that it would like, as you're, you know, talking to other, you know, and, and also backing up to that, you're working with are you working school districts, you know, teachers, like how, you know, how, what was the range of, of people that you were working with? Yeah. I mean, we started selling the school level to principals okay. and then we um, evolved to both sell directly to schools and partner with um, districts as well. So we might be talking to a superintendent, oh, a director great. of professional development or a principal or all kind of in conjunction at the same time. 
Oh no, that's really, that's really good. So you had a nice, I mean, that was, I mean, that's really like almost like the whole ecosystem being able to, to be able to get into the classroom, the school district, the principal. So even with working um, with school districts, what was, what are some of your kind of takeaways from, from working with school districts? Were there a lot of red tape with that, you know, and how did, how were you getting into pitching that and saying like, you know, your school district needs that, you know, you need it. Right. Right. (laughs) Which is when, you, if you say that, you'll never get it. You never right, get exactly. the sale, right? <laughs> yeah, you can't say it like that. You can't say it like that. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just, uh, <laughs> hey, what you know? What's your biggest concern for the fall, like around teaching and learning? Oh okay. man, I'm really worried about my um, middle school math. Yeah. Uh, tell me more about that. Like, um, how are you measuring success? Ah, uh, it's the I Ready test. Okay. Okay. Like, what? what are you scoring on that now? You know, it's, it's like doing that whole thing. Absolutely. Um, in terms of man, like what, how did I get to the first people? That was the hardest thing for me. Like psychologically at the beginning, like how do I even get to talk to principals? Oh, wow. You, you know, how do I even get to like talk to these people? How do, you know, in the, in the sales world, it's like, how do you build your pipeline? How do you actually get leads? How do you to sell anything? You got to have conversations with the people who are your buyers. And Unlike a product that's like direct to the app store, you know, a, a B2C product, direct to consumer, where you instantly have access to everyone, a B2B product, you know, you got to figure out how to get to those decision makers. And for me, I'm like, man, I know principals. They're some of the busiest professionals and they are actually some of the most interrupted professionals. Like they're under interrupted, I think like 146 times a day. What? on <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's like, I'm like, man, I'm supposed to call into a school I've never talked to is somehow get a principal on the line, wow. get a half an hour with it. So that just seems so daunting to me. Like how did I ended up, um, you know, it was like pulling teeth. Like I, I ended up going to like a couple conferences and like, man, that was just like the worst um, idea for me, like going into it. Cause I'm like, man. I've been to conferences before, like outside of Connective, and you go to the vendor hall, and there's like 500 booths. Yes. You know, everybody's <laughs> got some candy they're throwing at you. They got the little wheel. To, and it just seems like, you know, like people are trying to avoid the vendors. And yeah. it didn't seem like any kind of fun, like being on the opposite end of that. It just seemed like so daunting. But, you know, I went to a couple, actually picked up um, one of my first customers from one. Um, Oh, very cool. inef- yeah yeah it was super inefficient i didn't like crush the conference i wasn't like a socialite <laughs> i didn't have like 50 leads you know absolutely a few conversations one of them panned out but you know we're a lot more mature as an organization now we're not so worried about that there's a ton of ways to get conversations with uh principals or district leaders and one, you know, one big way is, hey, once you're successful, you can start to get referrals and references right. and things of that nature and success kind of, um, you know, you can build momentum and there's trusted relationships, all that good jazz. But it was really hard at the beginning. I guess it took some serious time, like years, you know, it before I really years. started Man. getting into it. And was it just you? Yeah, were you eventually partnering up with people? Wait, when did when did that kind of take place? Yeah, it was, uh, I started as a solopreneur, um, definitely wrestled with the idea of bringing on a partner and went back and forth on it. Like, ah, 
you know, just giving up the control, all that other sure. gas. And I kind of uh, courted a few folks and tried a few folks. And I got to a point yeah. where I um, was doing the selling, doing the operations, doing everything, like, and just realized that I have the capacity to learn and do anything. Like, I strongly believe that. You know, that's that liberal arts spirit, whatever. Like, hey, if yeah. I want to go learn how to do the development, I could go do that. Yeah, but, <laughs> exactly. But what you realize after a certain amount of time, it's only a certain amount of hours in a week. Time. Woo. You know, it's time, right? <laughs> time. So I put a call out to uh, one of my networks, uh, founder networks through uh, Penn. And I was like, look, I'm looking for a co-founder, you know, looking for someone that's really like operations person, et cetera. And uh, I got some bites and, you know, picked someone up from that who has been a you know, tremendous tremendous player in the organization someone who had previously had an ed tech startup that they grew from like 100 users to 3 million users oh that's cool like he's an operations person like i'm that's not really not my speed okay um (laughs) you know he's a developer like so i just was able to over time you know start picking up folks like co-founder first but then teammates that were paid and as we got funding etc so yeah we built it up over time no, that's that's super cool because I remember when I was, you know, seeing things on like LinkedIn or there would see like an article, I would then see like we're hiring and we're hiring. I was like, oh, I was like, I said, Will's out here hiring folks. What you know, <laughs> and, you know, because I know there's somebody listening out here that is, you know, that's entrepreneur that's like looking to like make that first hire. Can you walk us through like what were some of the qualities that you were looking for? Were you looking for more, you know, I mean, obviously skills important, but like in terms of like fit, you know, because, you know, you know, you, you know, this is something that, you know, you, you've grown in that this is something, again, this is passion turned into action and you are like solving this problem. So this is serious. This is like serious business. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I uh, certainly learned the hard way of, how not to hire um it's real getting <laughs> yeah there's so so much cost to getting mm. a bad hire you know especially as a founder you have limited time and you have limited capital before your startup dies right yeah it's always like i think reed hoffman the co-founder of linkedin he talks about startups being like you know jumping off a cliff and building a plane on the way down, right? So you get a bad hire, you know, that might be that extra time where you crash into the rocks before you take off. And um, what I've learned the long and the short of it is that hiring, competency-based hiring is where it's at. Like anybody can beat a behavioral interview, like the 100% way to do it, any position is have them do the work that they would be doing in the position. That's the only surefire way yeah. to get a good sense if they're going to do well or not. So we actually have a multi-stage process, no matter who we're hiring, where we have start with small exercises, them doing yeah. the actual work. Like we'll just give an example of what they would actually be doing, see how they perform written, verbal, whatever, doing the thing. And if they get far enough, you know, we'll even do like a full day. You know, when we're in the office, we're like, get a full day in the office, day in the life, you know, and see how you perform, give them X, Y, and Z project. And it helps differentiate so easily 
way beyond the behavioral interview of like, oh, I like, I actually felt, you know, that was a great interview. She was charismatic, blah, blah, blah. But you tell them to go do the V lookup Excel task Uh and like, Maybe it wasn't asked, you know, maybe it was time, (laughs) maybe it was, you know, like, so that has been just, yeah, it took our whole game to the the next level. You know, we, we have 200 coaches now. We just brought on like a hundred more in the last quarter and everybody from the coaches to the sales team, whatever, it's the same. It's competency based. Do the job that that we want you to do. Um, So that, that's the biggest, the biggest lesson learned. You said 200? coaches now yeah yeah that's crazy <laughs> that's a great but that's really cool that is that is super cool but you've had this you've had rapid growth so i can imagine like you know you got to onboard you know the coaches and everything um i also want to um you know pick your brain on this because um i was watching um an interview with tristan walker of bevel and walker and, and company and so he was talking about um, as a founder, he was like, you know, I was, he got an executive coach and he was like, I'm, I'm just making all these decisions, but they're really hard and they're really hard. I don't know what to do. And so he, the coach asked him the question, well, what are your values? And he was like, and so revert back to your values and that helps you make the decisions. Um, in terms of your decision-making in your, in your company, what do you lean on when it comes to decisions? Yeah, I think values is a good one. Um... There's certain things my my co-founder and I um, strongly believe in, and one of our um, former employees actually pushed us to kind of memorialize our values and stuff, and made made us think about that. And um, you know, that's a big part of what we can look back to. So, like high expectations, continual improvement, you know, data driven, certain things like that. Right. Uh, I think the other piece is understanding that I don't know what I don't know. And so surrounding myself with smart people in different um, verticals uh, to give me con to give me expertise in different places that I can use as, you know, data points in my decision-making is, is critical. Like we've had a crazy, like great inflection point, after we brought on a really, really seasoned sales advisor who has helped scale education technology companies like over and over again. And so having someone that knows the best practices that has our track record of success, a lot of times what I find, um, especially in sales, but in other places as well, that sometimes intuition is actually can conflict with best practices. Like, Mm. ah, like this, this is very logical. Like maybe you should, you know, set the employment structure this way and you do X, Y, and Z, but the seasoned experts like, yeah, like really the pro move is to do it this other way. Um, And that comes across even with like the coaching work we do, right? Classic first year in the profession. If someone um, blurts out or is talking out of turn, the number one thing, your instinct is to call the person out. Like, right. Jerome, stop talking. Like, you know, I told you to stop talking. In actuality, that's like the antithesis of what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to like, at the very last resort, call on the person because that creates like a fight or flight thing. They can either escalate or whatever. You're actually supposed to do the opposite. So the long and the short of it is like, 
leaning on expertise where I can find it, um, leaning into core values, um, having a good partner that's super shrewd in his own right, um, and then having a, a very strong commitment to rapid improvement myself. It's like if I don't know something, like just you know, reading, doing audiobooks, you know, just the rapid Absolutely. learning that it takes. Like, oh man, we're not really focused with where our priorities are. And we have like initiative and initiative. I'm like, all right, let's go learn about OKRs and like just doing the deep dive and like objectives and key results. Abs- and like just, Absolutely. And now we're like, we do that. But I just like, all right, I just got to need to go learn that now. So it's, a, I think, a mix of all of those things. No, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's, uh, I think that's super important, you know, being able to like look at those elements and that being, you know, the fina- foundation, you know, of how you're going to grow, how you're going to scale. No, I, I love that. I love that response. I'm, I'm really curious in, in terms of when I was seeing on the Ed Connective site about like virtual coaching, like that's one of the services, like the one-on-one, you got small group, um, and then also, you know, group training. Um, I was really, I was really fascinated that you all are providing feedback like within 48 hours. Is that, is that correct? How does that particular um, process work? So if I'm a teacher, you know, you, you know, you, your, your company, you're, is working with my district and I am looking for feedback, you know, just in terms of my coaching, how does that work exactly? Yeah. Um, So we pair each teacher with uh, his or her own coach. So we've got our, e-harmony approach to like coach matching right right right. try and connect the right folks with the right folks based on a number of different variables um, because you want a good fit and then they have an introductory session where like hey my name is will you know this is you know what connect is about tell me a little bit more about your your teaching some of your your growth some of your glows you know some of the things you want to do better at or some things that are top of mind for you you know establish that rapport and then after that, it's actually pretty data-driven. A uh, teacher captures instruction on a smart device, shares that with the coach. Coach will analyze that game tape, almost like if uh, it was an athletic situation. And then within 48 hours, they do hop on a video chat, not dissimilar to this, where they provide that feedback, where they're wow. showing you the data-driven results of, hey, 10 minutes in the classroom instruction, this is what was going on. Tomorrow, let's work on... A, B, and C. And the 48 hours is important because the biggest um, challenge to effective professional development in any industry is behavior change. Mm. Like human behavior change for humans is really hard. You know, that's why it's, it's the few, few of us who can be like, you know what, I'm going to go pick up cross, cross, cross country skiing or I'm going to the <laughs> right. you know, gym season, about to get in the gym. Like, yeah, exactly. It's few of us that like actually maintain those behaviors because behavior change is hard yes. because of our humanity. Um, and part of what beats that is, is frequency and repetition. And so that's why we bake in 48 hours. That's why we do once a week. That's why we do 15 repetitions of practice, the role model role play on every feedback session, because you got to build them habit you got to build the new muscle memory and that's that's what's big uh for the work no that's that's amazing this aspect of the coaching like you are the feedback you're getting back is actionable so like you don't have to go like till next week and forget like oh what did i say with that coach like you Mm -hmm. are going back and you're like reviewing your notes and you're like okay we're gonna work on number one and number two and then even from there like 
how long do they get with that particular coach? Is it like for another few weeks? Um, you know, and then how do you, how, you know, you guys are then measuring like how that particular coaching advice applies and how, what the results are. Yeah. It's usually about three months. Okay. Usually, um, wow. You know, like every week for about three consecutive months. Um, you know, there's, um, behavior change research that suggests that it takes on average about 66 days to form a new habit. And I mean, that's why it takes, it just takes time, right. To, to build that new habit. So, um, probably not dissimilar to other industries, uh, professional development and the teaching space is like, Hey, maybe one, some month here, you have something else there, another two months or, Maybe you have a couple of things in the same month, but they're from different providers. They're like totally not different. It's usually not within like the kind of critical nexus of timing and frequency and et cetera, that it's um, um, necessary for behavior change. And so right. that's why so much money goes into PD for our space and other spaces as well, um, but with limited results. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that a lot. I, I understand exactly what you're going with it. Now, were you always having that virtual component? You Because, you know, you think about like now with this new posture that we're in, you know, we're always talking in a, some sort of screen. Um, but was that always like your intent to always to have it virtual? Yeah, that was the... Um kind of origin of Ed Connective was, you know, virtual coaching, kind of one-on-one coaching at scale. Um, again, you know, to my earlier point, how do we change the fishing industry or the, the education yeah. industry? Um, not one classroom at a time, but, you know, tens of thousands of students at a time. Um, we need a scalable model. And, you know, driving out to schools, flying out to schools, that old school model mm. is not scalable, right? That's right. like the status quo. And so we built Ed Connective uh, to reach this vision of, you know, every teacher, coach, every student thriving, like that's, that's what it takes. Uh, that's the thing. That's what it will take to really bring in like school 2.0, like just the same wow. way. Every student needs a teacher. Uh, that's an awesome teacher. Every teacher needs a coach. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's, that's what needs that's to happen. That's real good. That's real like, good. Right now, 50% of teachers go uncoached every year. Mm. Um, and so for me, that's a travesty. That's half of the profession all of this talent, all of this, all these resources, human capital, that's not reaching anywhere near the maximum performance, not because they're not working their butt off, but simply because they don't have access to dedicated coaching. And even our best ones, you know, your 20 year veterans, your 30 year ones. I mean, LeBron, guess what? He, he puts up a jump shot. He goes on the sideline. There's a coach giving him feedback. He's the top of his <laughs> top of his game. Absolutely. Yeah, he's got a coach, you know, <laughs> like we all like, could everybody could use a coach. And so it's no different for teaching. No, I mean, no, I mean, you make a, a great point, you know, because in this particular environment we're in, you know, I can imagine that your the company, you know, was either sought after um, or that it really picked up. So did it pick up um, during the pandemic? Yeah, we experienced Forex growth that year. So we grew a lot that year. Yeah. No, no, that's no, that's cool. That's really cool. So in terms of, you know, what's next just for for Ed Connected, like what's next for you guys? Um, you know, are you just maintaining like your growth? You know, are you looking into different programs that you that you want to launch? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, right now we're in 
over 26 states. Um, we want to continue um, expanding the depth and breadth of our reach um, so we can reach that audacious vision, right? Every teacher coached, um, every student thriving. Um, that's going to take a lot of um, intentional uh, investment in time and energy. I think we're doing really well. Our growth curve is, is, is maintaining. So it looks like, you know, more team members, more staff, um, you know, refined solutions. Um, you know, we have been rolling out a number of um, enhancements um, throughout the last couple of years that have made our service even better. Like we first just started with one-on-one -on -one teacher coaching and then administrators started asking like, hey, can you like teach us that as well? Like <laughs> your coaching methodology <laughs> is like so robust. Like, can, can we get some coaching? So we started wow. doing administrator coaching, you know, coach coaching, you know, coaching other coaches that already exist in districts. And then we, you know, have evolved to do some group trainings and X, Y, Z. So we want to continue um, uh, refining and enhancing uh, what we do have to improve the experience for, for everyone involved. But, you know, at this current point in time, you know, teachers are saying on a regular basis, this is the single greatest experience I've ever had in a profession, you know, yeah. period. And we get that on a regular oh, basis. So we want to keep doing that. We want to shout this work from the rooftops and we, you know, are not only impacting students, but we're changing the lives of teachers that are burnt out, that are struggling, that need support, that thinking about quitting the profession. Like we're doing good work. So we want to just continue expanding that work. Man, you said four, four X your growth and then you're in 26 states. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you wake up and you're like, because hmm. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> if you think about going back to that time where you were like, I'm hoping to get the one, you know what I'm saying? I'm hoping to get the one. And now you're in 26 states and then you, you know, and have about 200 coaches. Come mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. now, Will. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I mean, if, this is exciting for me. So I hope the folks listening out there are excited <laughs> about this because this is, this is what, I mean, this is what, what in terms of like really purposeful and impactful work, you can see that duplicated, you know, in, in, in states, you're not even like, you know, you just right here, you know, right. <laughs> yes. yeah. I get people, like, I'm like, oh, East Hollywood, Utah, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's bro. it, that's it. And like learning about new places, right. It's just like incredible. Like our impact, you know, we just hired new employees. One of them's in Arizona, one of them's in like Seattle, Washington. Wow. You know, we have coaches all across the country, a couple of them that are international. And it's just like, used to be the the biggest thing that was top of mind for me was just everything was like existential related. Yeah. It was just like, will we be, will I, will I keep doing this four months from now? Am I right. going to be doing this a year from now? I'm ever, is this actually going to ever generate any revenue or like any traction? And so and nowadays, you know, it's easy. Like, yeah, of course we have problems all the time. Like, you know, we're just, you know, come, I'm solve problems all the time. That's what it, I do in my role. You know, as you're growing a company, there's always stuff you got to do, but guess what? You, you, there's rarely existential problems. You know, they're never really existential problems anymore. Right. Right? Like, get the lights on, you know, it's like, right. Hey, should we go left or should we go right? Or, right. Well, you know, this way, will that be a little bit faster or maybe we slow fast, you know? So, you know, nowadays it's this, you know, the great part of the ride. And, you know, it just took a lot of persistence um, because I'm telling you, Ashley, I did everything wrong. Everything you could do wrong, I did it wrong. Man, like, <laughs> like, man. It's like, 
Yeah. If it was like, I put up like a thousand shots and like a couple of them fell, you know, like, oh, okay, let's keep doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But I took so many bad shots. But once I started taking a couple that actually fell, I'm like, okay, I can do more of that. So. Yeah. Oh no. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Will. I want to wrap up and uh, yeah, just give you the floor just to, you know, talk to uh, some, some teachers out there, you know, just in terms of, of what they're looking for in terms of next steps into their, into their career and how they can get connected um, with your company. Yeah. Um, you can find us at edconnected.com. Of course you can Google edconnective. Um my name, my my email is uh, well at edconnective.io. So I mean, certainly feel free to to reach out. You know, our whole thing is we want to help teachers go from good to great, and from great to outstanding. Um, you know, definitely coll- collaborate de- directly with schools. We collaborate directly with districts, and we just want to be helpful. You know, whether that's how do I improve uh, third grade reading scores, or that's how do I work on improving middle school math. Um, or, you know what, I really want to focus on my, my English language learners. That's what I'm concerned about. Yeah. You know, we can work on and addressing all of those things through, you know, helping teachers get better faster, um, through coaching. So that's, that's the, the secret behind Ed Connective is it really addresses so many things, uh, within the world of teaching and learning by just making your core staff member a lot better uh, and, equ- and equipping them to do that. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's what I'll say. That's awesome. We're going to have all of Will's information in the show notes so that you guys can stay connected with the company, reach out to Will, especially the the teachers, um, the school districts, the administrators um, that you guys may come across this podcast. Definitely share uh, with your team, you know, because they need to be able to hear about how their team and how their, their coaches and the administrators and everyone can just, you know, get better so that they can be able to reach, you know, the, the kids are in the classroom. And so I think what you're doing is just phenomenal. And so I'm excited about, um, the next steps and what 2022 is going to bring. Cause I already know 2021 is going to be outrageous anyway, the rest of it. Um, so I'm excited about 2022. Um, yeah, I no, look forward. We'll, we'll probably see you sometime, maybe at homecoming sometime soon. So that's right. Uh, that's right. Absolutely. So thank you guys for tuning in to Conversations with Ask Ash. This is the impact season. Uh, Be sure to stay connected with the podcast, rate, review, share with some friends, um, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Ask Ash. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and follow Ashley on social media at Ashley Schuler underscore. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-H-U-L-E-R underscore.